Good morning, everyone. It's so excited to see everyone. I just always love seeing everyone welcoming one another, loving on one another, encouraging one another. It makes me happy that we're a community that can do that. So let's keep that up. And if you're at home, you should reach out to somebody today over the phone or go on a walk with someone or something like that. Love on someone and be blessed in the process. So um, today I'm speaking about fights, quarrels, and being all in. We're still in the book of James, and we're also going to talk a little bit about Christmas. And I was looking back and I was like, why did we pick the book of James? It is a tough book. It is a tough book. I mean, it's hard stuff, but um, because we want to receive the whole of what God wants to speak to us. If you, you were raised in a family, you know that love comes with lots of tickles and gifts and tender embraces and encouraging words. You also know that there are times of correction and discipline and tough words, and you got to do your budget and you got to be on time and you got to honor one another and all that good stuff. So that's what community is about. That's what the body of Christ is about. So we're taking it all in today. So um, I recently met two podcast hosts. Three of us met each other and they immediately started talking about what it means to host a podcast. And just listening to them, I was like, oh my gosh, they're, they ask the best questions, really good at asking questions, but they got both really animated when they asked each other, what's your tagline? What's your question that you ask every time? And um, I guess, apparently, if you have a podcast, at the end of your podcast, you're supposed to ask each guest the same question. And I don't know if I had necessarily noticed that before when I was listening to podcasts, but apparently it helps bring the, the podcast together over time. So they were asking each other, and the one person said um, that her question was, what does it mean to be all in the gospel? So that is the question. She, she'll ask people about their books, about their activities or whatever it is they do, and then their stories. And then she'll say, what does it mean to be all in? And so I've been thinking about that for the last several months. What does it mean to be all in? And how would different people answer that question? What does it mean to you to be all in? So when Kelsey played soccer at Jordan High School, down the street, she was all in. She was at the soccer practices, at the tryouts, at the team dinners. In fact, the whole family was all in. In fact, grandparents even have blankets with Jordan High School logos on them. And if you were to go into our coat, into our ward, our closet at our house, between Caleb and Kelsey and soccer and football, there's a lot of maroon and black. Maroon and black are the colors, right? Right, right. Did you hear that amen from her? Maroon. Oh, maroon and gray. Maroon and gray are the colors, but there's blackout games and all that stuff, you know? So we, we got a lot of maroon, black, and gray. So they got a new soccer coach and the soccer sh coach shows up and she's bought everybody jerseys that are light blue. Yeah, collective gasp, yes. <laughs> That's the colors of West Jordan and we play West, those are the colors of West Jordan and we play West Jordan and the team was not happy. Maybe she's trying to be creative, I don't know. We never got, if there was a moral point, we never got it. Somehow she had inadvertently communicated to the team that she wasn't all in with Jordan. 
And it was, it was a problem. It was, it was a blow. It was frustrating. It was sad. And we had to work through it, right? And there we are with maroon. I should have worn maroon and gray today. We serve and worship a God who is all in with us. So before I start talking about James, I want you to know that when you come into the kingdom of heaven, when you start following Jesus, there's no light blue. It's all maroon and black, maroon and gray. <laughs> all maroon and gray. He doesn't pull a light blue t-shirt out on you. Before we get into the book of James, a book that asks us to be all in, have living faith, have wholehearted faith, active faith. Before we get into the book of James, I just want to talk for a minute about how God is all in with us. Because you'll understand then why it's worth it for us to be all in with God. Vivian Hibbert has this book and we sell this book. If you want a copy, it's such a great book. It's got pages and pages and pages, 130 plus of reasons we should praise God and can praise God. It's so amazing when you think about everything God has done for us. But on page 42, it's praise him for he knows. What does God know about us? Because he's mighty in knowledge. God knows every star by name and put them in their place. God knows how we are formed, your name, when you are in the wilderness, and he knows how to provide for you when you're there. Every hair on your head, the secrets of your heart, he even knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you when you sit down and when you rise up, all your ways, all your days, all your words before you speak them. He knows everything that is in darkness. He knows those who trust in him. God's very thoughts are all in with creation, with humanity, with you, and with me. Later on page 104, she has the list of reasons to praise God for his protection. So it's not just God's knowledge about us. It's not just God's thoughts about Jane and Zoe and Lance and Monica and John. It's not just God's thoughts about us, but his actions, he's all in with us. We praise him because he protects and sustains us. Let's see, do, we, do I have that slide? I don't know if I did. Oh, there we go. Protects and sustains us, holds us up with his right hand, continually preserves us, surrounds us forever. We praise him because he's our stronghold, our support, our shield, our strength, our hiding place, our refuge, covering, fortress, shade, defender, keeper, deliverer, helper, rescuer, shelter. He's our guard our rear guard, and he gives us peace and even guards our hearts and minds. What a God. This is a God who's all in with us. Second Timothy 1.9 says, we were given grace in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. We can't even begin to comprehend because we don't understand time and dimensions and all that stuff. God was in with us before the beginning of time. God is 100% committed to us. There are many scriptures in the Bible that use the metaphor of marriage for God and his people. It's this picture of God as his passionate husband and his people as his, as his wife, his beloved. God didn't sign up for an open marriage. <laughs> when I married Aaron, we became exclusive. 
I'm his, he's mine. We're all in, right? Now to the book of James. We've been reading about wisdom for the last several weeks. And James is all in. James has walked with Jesus, seen what Jesus has done. He understands that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The very image of the invisible God, it says in Colossians 1. He saw Jesus' ministry. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw Jesus making people whole. He saw Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit when Jesus ascended back to heaven. James is all in. And he also sees what the church is going through that he's with, that he's working with. He see, James lives at a time when Jewish zealots are trying to reestablish Jerusalem. There's political upheaval everywhere. The zealots are revolting against the Romans. And the Romans and the Jews alike are persecuting all these new Jesus followers. Everyone is fighting about the right way to live life and how life should be done. They're all fighting. They needed wisdom. We need wisdom, don't we? Don't we need wisdom today about how to live life? Would James's people, would they follow the wisdom of the Greeks, the Romans, or the Pharisees and the Jews, or would they follow this new way of Jesus? Jesus or James sees people's lives are at stake. Commentators are actually debate about this. In this chapter we're going to read, there's a lot of military language and conflict language. And people actually think people were killing one another. That the zealots were in the Jews and the Romans and the believers, they were killing each other. That's what some people think. Other commentators think James is using the same language that Jesus used on the Sermon of the Mount. Um, oh, I lost place in my notes. When Jesus says, regard, if you're angry, even with a brother, it's like committing murder. Matthew 5, 21, if you're even angry with a brother, it's like committing murder. So James sets up these two different types of wisdom. I'm going to read from James 3 real quick, and then we'll get into James 4. So James 3, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Let's see. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. I think James was wrestling with that where he lived. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. 
Did you all get that postcard in the mail so you can be memorizing this? Awesome. If you didn't get a postcard with those words, we'll send you one so you can be memorizing those verses. James sees the escalating tensions in life around him. And out of these tensions and fights and quarrels and breaking out, he's concerned that God's people have the kind of wisdom that leads to peacemaking, humility, gentleness, generosity, no favoritism, no partiality. And you can hear the urgency in his voice in James chapter four. In James chapter four, some people say, is it's like the crux of the message of James. So I'm gonna read you the question that opens James chapter four, and I'm gonna read it in several translations. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? What is the source of wars and fights among you? Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? Now for the rest of the chapter. Don't these fights come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And then when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now for the strong words, you adulterers. All the rest of James, he's been calling me us brothers and sisters. And now he's like, you adulterers. This isn't an open marriage. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? Listen to this. They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. He wants us to be all in with him. And he gives grace generously when we're not. But he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what do you do? Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Where do wars, quarrels, and fights come from? They come from the places where we don't trust God the places where we don't believe God is all in with us and we're not all in with God. 
It's those areas where we don't believe that God is for us or knows us or that God will provide for us, protect us and help us. It's the places where we don't ask God for help. James said it's from evil desires at war within us. Okay, if we read the whole of scripture, scripture, we know that not all desires within us are evil, right? So we know that, but today we're talking about the evil ones. And if we're honest, we all know that we have evil desires within us, right? And if you don't know that, try praying David's Psalm, Psalm 139. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. It's interesting that the things that are hidden in within us can be connected to our anxious cares. The things we're afraid of, the things that have hurt us, the things that have wounded us. We should be courageous enough and secure enough to ask God to, to reveal those to us so we understand what's happening. What else does James say? James says, these wars come from wanting what we don't have. <laughs> Envy, right? Wanting or just need even. But sometimes we scheme and kill to get what we don't have. I knew a young woman who grew up in a super religious closed community and her every thought, every move, every freedom, she wasn't even allowed to go to school sometimes. She had to, she had to, um, um, we're talking junior high, she had to run away to get to school. So she had no control, she had no self-control she was wounded. So I'm, so we're helping her as she got older, trying to transition into mainstream society. And, and I said, okay, so you're, you're done with high school. You, you're ready to go there. What kind of jobs would you like to have? And she said, like, I'm, I'm going to be a CEO. And I was like, oh, really? What about being a CEO is so attractive to you? Or why do you want to do that? And she's like, cause I want to control people. I thought, oh, is that what CEOs do? <laughs> I don't think so. But she, 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 she needed control. It was, a, it was a good thing that she needed. She needed control. But things had been so messed up. She was trying to get it the worldly way by coming to a place of power, by coming to a place of control and authority. That was her idea. It was earthly wisdom. The other reason James said that we get in these fights and quarrels and wars is because we don't ask God for what we want. We go to all the places besides God, looking for wisdom, looking for power, looking for control, looking for ways to abate our fears and heal our own wounds. We need to discern where the wisdom comes from. And when we get wisdom, is this wisdom from God? Let's look to God. Another one, James says, is when we ask, we ask for all the wrong reasons. 
I couldn't help but hear the Garth Brooks <laughs> song, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. <laughs> if you know that song, if you don't, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Garth Brooks goes with his wife back home to a hometown football game. And he, run, he and his wife run into his old high school flame. And this is what he says in verse two. He says, she was the one that I wanted for all times. Each night I'd spend praying that God would make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish, I'd never ask for anything again. And then the chorus, I'm sure we could sing it. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs and just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, <laughs> right? Scripture says in many other places that we're supposed to bring our requests to God. So you can bet I'm asking God for the right spouses, like for my kids and for my friends. So we bring our desires and our requests to God. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes, we ask with the wrong motives and I'm not saying Brooks was, I just, that's the song, right? God knew what was better for him. And sometimes when we come to God, we, we need to ask God, what are my motives? What, what am I praying for? And why do I want this so badly? When we ask for our own pleasure, our own envy, wanting what we don't have, when we ask for the wrong reasons, we're living according to the world and not as a friend of God. Throughout the rest of the book of James, oh, hold on, <laughs> I lost my place. God is asking us to come and ask him for what we need. God is asking us to come to him and say, God, this is what we need. I'm coming to you, God. I'm all in with you. Give me the wisdom. Give me what I need. Give me a wisdom for this day. We're, we remember Matthew 6, 24, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money in that passage, oftentimes it's um, in the original, I think Hebrew or Aramaic, I don't remember, but it says mammon. It's like this God. It's like this wealth. It's like the system of power and wealth and control. We can't serve both God and money. So it's the Christmas season, right? So I've been thinking a lot about the Christmas story. And I don't know why I go to such dark places, but I've been thinking a lot about Herod lately. <laughs> perhaps because I've been reading about him in Mark. Perhaps because we read about Herod in the Luke 2 passage. But Herod is the embodiment of earthly wisdom. The wisdom of Greece, the wisdom of Rome, the wisdom of humanism. I know, I've also been reading Eugene Peterson's book, The Jesus Way. It's such a good book. And if you just read the chapter where he compares the way of Herod, the way of the Pharisees, and the Jesus Way, 
it'll be worth the whole book just to read that chapter. And a lot of these thoughts come from that chapter. But Peterson writes about Herod and does some history on Herod in case you didn't know this history. He ruled Palestine for 34 years. He was politically savvy enough to manipulate power-hungry Rome, all the factions of the Jewish people, and he could still bring order and prosperity to that place. He used art, architecture, literary works, drama productions, theater, athletic competitions as propaganda for the Greek and Roman way. His building projects were stunning. Amphitheaters, hippodromes, palaces, shrines, fortifications, aqueducts, roads, cities, fountains, and he even rebuilt the Jerusalem temple, the Jewish temple. One of his palace complexes, I always thought, I don't know why I thought this when I'd read, I always thought of Herod as a minor character compared to Caesar, but Herod like really went to town. <laughs> he had, he, one of his palace complexes and he had seven, but just one of his was larger than anything any of the Caesars had had. Who knew? Here's the astonishing thing, says Peterson. Jesus ignored the whole business. Jesus spent his life walking down roads and through towns dominated by Herod's policies, building shapes by Herod's power, communities at the mercy of Herod's whims, including Herod Antipas, who, who is the son of Herod, who beheaded John the Baptist. And yet Jesus never gave them the time of day. Jesus had virtually the same agenda as Herod. Jesus set out to establish a comprehensive way of life that would shape the behavior and capture the imaginations of all the people of the world. The difference with Jesus is he didn't just want to take over Judea and Galilee. Jesus wanted the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God sent us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus wanted to change everything. And yet he didn't do it the Herod way. Why didn't Jesus do it the Herod way? Why? Because Jesus chose heavenly wisdom. Because Jesus was all in with the ways of God. Because Jesus knew God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus' way was marked with peacemaking, humility, gentleness, generosity, no favoritism or partiality. It was the exact opposite of the way of Herod. So now we have all this Herodian architecture everywhere. But when Jesus comes on the scene, where was Jesus born? He wasn't born in a palace, right? I bet you some of our kids could tell us, where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem, in a manger. And according to our tradition, I'm not sure, but there were donkeys and sheep and goats. I mean, if there was a manger, there had to be animals so that the, so the manger was so that the animals could eat, right? That was the feeding trough. 
for the animals. That's where Jesus was born, not a palace, but in a cave, in a grotto, or a someplace where shepherds kept their sheep. What's interesting is that no one even knows the exact place where Jesus was born. There's a, there's a, there's a church and a spot where Constantinople's mom said, this looks like the grotto. This looks like the cave where Jesus might've been born. Let's call this the place where Jesus was born. So now we have, I love it. Eugene Peterson calls it a clumsy church that's been built over the spot. <laughs> and if you look at the pictures, it's like you go down into these caves and it's, it's really a, this, this little kind of eccentric little spot in Bethlehem. It's nothing like Herod's places that he built. But here's what happens. People go there, and when they get there, what do they do? Some of them are just tourists, right? There to see where Jesus might have been born. But others get there, and they worship. And they remember what Jesus did. They remember who Jesus was. They don't go to the top of Herod's Hill. I have a picture well, before we get there, Jesus's birth was a quiet affair, out of the way, affectionately tended. Jesus's life was marked by humility, the road less traveled, a different way of being. But let's look at where Herod was, what some of the stuff that Herod did. The way of Herod was full of earthly wisdom. He had evil desires at war within himself. He wanted what he couldn't have. And what was the result? Murder, real murder, bloody murder. He could have had what he wanted. He could have had peace with himself. Herod was there when the Magi came to town, when the star of Bethlehem was shining. He could have gone like the shepherds, like the wise men, he could have gone to Jesus's feet. He could have gone and worshiped at Jesus's feet, but he didn't. Instead, he committed genocide in Bethlehem. He also arranged for his favorite wife to be killed because he couldn't stand to think of anyone else having her. That's a Herodian kind of love, love of a possession, not a person. Herod killed his uncle, his mother-in-law, his three sons. Caesar Augustus said, I'd rather be a Herod's pig than Herod's son. <laughs> That's how bad Herod was. <laughs> and when Herod died, he had pre-planned his burial tomb on top of a mountain he had built. So Herod was so obsessed with his reputation, so obsessed that he didn't disappear into the grave, forgotten when he died, that he built a burial palace on top of a mountain. And guess what? This is three and a half miles southeast of Bethlehem, but it's also nowhere near his other palaces because there were no hills big enough for him. So he found the tallest hill and then he built it up even more. And that's where he was buried. And guess what? People from all over the world go and they visit Herod's burial place. 
But you know what they don't do? They don't worship. Because Herod's way and Jesus' way, Herod's way isn't worth following. Today, as we celebrate the Advent season, along with millions of worshipers over time and space all over the world, worshipers present and past, as we remember Jesus in a manger with the animals, no room in the inn, let's remember who we worship and what wisdom marked him. Let's turn away from earthly wisdom that causes fights and quarrels and wars and battles. Let's turn away from our ways of life and turn to the Jesus way. Commentator Femi Perkins, she says, humility demands a complete reversal of one's way of life. Let's finish with James 4, tough words, but words we should hear because they include action. They include not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. I'd like to invite Kathy and the girls to come up. They're gonna sing that song one more time, but let's pray. If you'll all just stand with me, let's finish with a prayer. If you want to agree with me, you're welcome to. First of all, God, we give thanks that you are all in with us and you've never not been all in with us. From the beginning of time, you've been for us, you've been for creation, you've been for the land, you've been for the earth, you've been for us, you've been all in your grace was for this place that we call home and for us who live on it. From the beginning of time, God, we give thanks for that, that you know the hairs on our head, that you know our coming and going, that you're our guard, that you're our protector, you're our shield, you're our refuge. Thank you. Lord, we just ask that you forgive us. Forgive us for allowing the evil desires that battle in our hearts to come out and inform our decisions. Forgive us for seeking things just out of selfish ambition. Forgive us for asking for things for the wrong motive. Forgive us for not coming to you for what we need. I just say we come to you, God, and we say we're all in with you today. We don't want to do things the Herod way, seeking money and power and control. We want to come the way of humility so that your grace can be lavished on us. 
So as we conclude today, God, we just say, teach us your ways. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.